Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning. Uh, Open your Bibles up, if you would, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, I cannot wait until we can uh, worship together face-to-face again. And uh, I hope that you are anticipating that as well. I don't know what to make of these days. They just uh, continue to be weird. Uh, It's almost like we are living in a movie, a really bad movie, uh, to go out into public and see face masks and people so far apart from each other. Uh, it is it is certainly odd days, and we're all experiencing them together. Uh, one thing I do know is that I cannot speak with any sort of authority as an expert when it comes to the seriousness of COVID-19, how long we should be social distancing, and when things should get back to our own particular definition of normal. But I do know how to speak about a few things, a few issues I do know about, such as fear. Fear comes as a result of confusion. Fear comes as a result of a lack of self-control or a a lack of understanding. Uh, We want to know the answer to our questions, and most of the time our questions are, but when can we, you know, go back to work, get back, you know, with our friends and go visit our family, and what is it, and do I have it? I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but every time that I cough, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Every time that I... Uh, you know, feel a, an ache in my body. I think, uh-oh, am I the only one who's doing that? I know this. I know with it being pollen season, every time I sneeze in public, I just say to myself, I cut the grass this morning uh, just to kind of alleviate the fears of those that are uh, around me or maybe to alleviate my own. Some are trying to panic to stay in. Some are protesting to go out. Some know more than others know, and some think they know more than they actually do. And depending upon how strong their personalities are, most people think that everyone should agree with their view. There was a divide in our country, and it seemed to be very divided on many, many issues, whether they're gender issues or political issues or finance issues, many issues. And I, and I will say this too, that division is never from the Lord. He is never the author of confusion. This is one of the reasons why he doesn't give us a spirit of fear because fear comes from confusion and God is not the author of confusion. But sometimes it's not just confusion. Sometimes it's distractions too, divisions and distractions And I know this, sometimes when we are so clued in to the social issues going on around us, they actually distract us from whom we should be paying attention to. Let me explain what I mean by that. I keep hearing terms, uh, the term, uh, we're all in this together. Oh, well, of course we are. Who else would we be in it with? But it is a united uh, statement that we all are in this together. And I love the things that can unite us together. But... Beyond that that we have in common, we don't agree with much beyond that. There are so many conspiracies today, uh, and these conspiracies divide us, and they separate us, and they put us into groups. Listen, I just want to encourage you as your pastor, so take this for what it's worth. Don't listen to conspiracies. 
some of them may be true. Don't spend your time focused on the news, on social media articles. We shouldn't be spending all of our time getting our information that way. There is a better, a better way. Uh, in fact, there is no benefit to solving those issues. Where did it come from? And who should we blame? You know what? For, for us, it makes no difference. In fact, those questions seem a lot more uh, apropos to the Garden of Eden, not to the garden tomb of the resurrection. What we need to do, it, rather than solving the dilemma, and I'm not talking about the dilemma of the, of the virus, of course that should be solved, I'm talking about the questions that we are asking of ourselves and of our government. We need to simply trust God. That's what the people of God ought to do. And I'm not saying separating ourselves away from the world, but I am saying separating ourselves away from the confusion, the division, and the distraction. We need to be pointing people to Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on Jesus at all times, whether that's in our work, whether that's in our neighborhoods, or whether that's in our own home, and sometimes that means even in our own heart. Listen to me, you've heard me say this before, but our hope does not come from our government. Our hope will never come from stimulus checks, and our hope does not come from government bailout monies. Our hope comes from the Lord. He is our refuge. It always does did, and we were just about to forget that. I have struggled for several years now wondering what does the reset button on America look like because we were struggling with all sorts of issues, gender issues, finance issues, political issues. It's like no two people agreed on anything. Where's the reset button? What will it take to bring us back to what we ought to be? And this is the best shot I think that we've had in a long time. If we focus on the when and the where's, we're going to miss the who. And I'm not talking about the WHO, the World Health Organization. I'm talking about the who of Scripture. I think we're investigating the wrong who. We should be investigating God is who we should be seeking, investigating, and seeing what He has to say for times like this. Well, I know this. This is another thing that I know. Our ministry at Connect Church is seeing great days. We're seeing great days of influence. And there will never be, cannot be a replacement for us being together. And I hope that you truly are anticipating the party that we're going to throw when we are back together. I am so thankful for our team at church that works so diligently each day to continue to serve you and to serve Christ and His church and this city. You are, as a church, continuing to find ways to serve and to give and to support those ministries, and we are so grateful that ministry can go on. And by the way, we have a new mailbox uh, near the front office entrance that you can put your check in now. It's at the left-hand side of the front office uh, pillars. As you go up the front steps, you can put your check there and uh, in a giving envelope or a regular envelope, and it uh, and mail's checked regularly. Uh, nobody can get in out of it except those that are authorized to do that. And so our missionaries are continuing to be supported. Our churches are continuing to be planted. And so thank you for finding a way to continue to honor the Lord by being obedient. I am blown away by the stories that I get to hear you tell me of ministry that is taking place in your homes, still at your workplace, conversations that are going on, praying with neighbors out in the driveways on Wednesdays, and that meaningful spiritual times that you are finding and opportunities that you're finding is incredible. And there are some stories that I cannot wait to tell you, and I'm going to wait till we're together in order to be able to tell you some of those. 
Well, it seems the society came together for several weeks in order to support one another and to give and to serve and to call and to check on each other and to support each other. But now it seems like that newness, that change has kind of worn off. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about all of us as a society. Many are feeling it's time to get back at it. Others are claiming it's not over. Who's right? I don't know. I don't know who's right. We're just trying to do what we can do every day to bring glory and honor to the kingdom of God. And I appreciate your help in helping us to do that. We all feel the loss of being together in worship. And I'm afraid we feel sometimes, and I'm guilty too, a feeling that something has been taken away from us. Someone is trying to sabotage us, and we want to fight it, and we want to rebel against that, and we feel as though someone is out to get us. But what if God is giving us something instead? A reboot, a reformatting, a reconsidering of what is important, reprioritizing. I mean, we're talking more about family and neighbors and the dinner table. We're talking about family game nights and watching movies in the floor and making homes instead of making livings as the centerpiece of the family. Taking walks instead of taking breaks to be with the family. One of the things that the Lord is giving us is He is giving us time. He's giving us space. He is giving us Himself. He is giving us peace in the midst of chaos. Sure, this epidemic has called, created real stress, real issues for millions of Americans. And as a church, we are trying our best to help where we can. But let's not neglect the opportunities that go along with that. That's really all that God does, isn't it? He just keeps giving himself to us. No matter where we are, who we are, what we've done, he continues to look for opportunities to give himself to us. You think about the ministry of God. He's constantly making himself available. When he's distant, that's not his fault. He's not going anywhere. It is us who get off the path that he very clearly outlined for us to follow. But when we get off the path, he makes it known to us. He tells us where we got off the path and how to get back on. And he makes himself available to walk with us the whole way. Whenever, whatever, and wherever we are, Ever since creation, God has been doing this. This is His relationship with His humanity. God created us to be with us. So let's not think of this social distancing time or this virus protection time as a curse, but let's consider it more of a blessing. Not as a taking of something, but of a God giving us something. It may not be what we want, but it is what we need. Remember, God doesn't always give us what we want, but He always gives us what we need. Well, that brings us to where we ended up last Sunday with Mary Magdalene encountering the resurrected Jesus in the garden tomb. And uh, when she saw the empty tomb, she immediately ran back to, to Peter and to John, and they went ahead of her and back to the tomb to see that her uh, testimony was true. The body was truly missing. And they walked back home, and apparently they put a symbol assembly of all of the disciples back together, with, uh, not Thomas, for whatever reason. We'll talk about him in a little while. But they put all of them back together, and they're meeting uh, together uh, and not believing the testimony of, of Mary. So Peter and John, even though they'd seen the empty tomb, were not believers in the resurrection yet. 
But the day is not over. I want to draw your attention to a often overlooked character during these days in Scripture, and that's the upper room. Yes, the upper room as a character. There are three primary events that took place in the upper room during these days. They, they serve three distinct purposes for Jesus and his disciples over these days. The first thing it, uh, it served was a room of safety. When Jesus was uh, nearing the weekend of his death, and of course the disciples should have known that, but didn't yet, uh, Jesus told them to go ahead and uh, told them exactly which room to request. And so they go ahead and they find the room and they get it ready for Passover, the Passover celebration, which celebrated the Passover uh, feast of the Old Testament, where the uh, Passover angel, the angel of death, passed over all of those that were had their houses marked with the blood of the sacrifice. So while they were celebrating that particular feast, uh, Jesus taught them many, many things for the last time. Some of those things were given as examples. In fact, one of the things he gave them was the example of his new covenant that he gave. And he took the bread and he took the, the, the wine and he offered it as an illustration of his life being broken for them and his blood being spilled for them. And he offered it as a new commandment that he gave to us, a new covenant, a blood covenant between God and Mankind, And then he says that he, he took that covenant immediately into a time of humility where he bent down very intimately and washed the disciples' feet one by one, even the betrayer Judas. And Jesus taught them some other last teachings about abiding. And then they heard Jesus pray the high priestly prayer where he talked about oneness with the Father. And then he prayed that the disciples would experience that same oneness with God. Jesus was bringing them so near, perhaps nearer and closer than they had ever been before. In fact, it was this room that Peter said and took a vow that he would die for Jesus. He felt so close there. But within that same weekend, that room is going to be used again. We have the full picture if you look at Mark and Luke and John's uh, account of this, you get a composite picture of all the di different details that God wants us to know. But for today, we're going to read in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. On the evening of that day, that's the day that Mary Magdalene came back to Peter and to John, the first day of the week, that was the Sunday, resurrection day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the Jews because just three days earlier, two nights earlier, they had experienced a terrifying time when, uh, well, for instance, Peter was accused of being with Jesus and knowing Jesus, and uh, and he, he denied Jesus three times. And he knew that if they were to get back out into public, people would identify with him with Jesus, and they would be the next to be crucified. So what do they do? They do like what any one of us would do, and that's to hold ourselves up in some sort of social distancing away from the Jews in order to self-persevere. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
So we see that the upper room was a room of seclusion, a room of seclusion, a room of safety. Uh, after John and Peter had gone back to Jerusalem, Jesus encountered two of the other disciples, uh, Cleopas and another unnamed follower of Jesus. And uh, this was on the road to Emmaus. And, and in this long walk that Jesus encountered with them, he taught them many things about how Jesus, the Messiah, was a, uh, an answer to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Once they realized it was Jesus, they uh, were startled and amazed. And then they looked up and Jesus had vanished. Well, the first thing they did was to go back to the 11 disciples and to declare to them the same thing that Mary Magdalene had declared, and that is, I saw him with my own eyes. And Cleopas and the other disciple looked at Peter and John and the rest of the, the disciples and said, we saw him. What do Peter and John and the rest of the disciples do? We do not believe it. They denied the testimony again of the resurrected Jesus. They were locked behind the door because they were afraid. They were afraid of death because of their relationship with Jesus. And it seemed that while they were afraid and panicking, they were not believing. They could not see what was obvious. That Jesus said that if you tear my body down, I'll raise it up in three days. That, uh, that he was going to come into his kingdom. He, Jesus talked often about his resurrection, as, as often about his resurrection as he did his death. But the disciples couldn't see it because they'd never experienced anything like that. And in the middle of their panic, in the middle of their distancing, in the middle of their fear, Jesus appeared in the room with them. Uh, I don't want to dramatize Jesus walking through walls or passing through walls, but the door was locked because they were afraid, but their fear didn't stop Jesus from coming into their situation. And the first thing that Jesus does is he says to them, peace be with you. Look, it's me. Huh. The full story tells us that first Jesus offered them peace. Now you have to go back and look at what Mark said about this event and what Luke says about this event and also what John says. But Jesus offered them peace. He showed them his scars and then he offered them peace again. He offered them peace from their trouble first because you can imagine their uh, surprise when they saw the resurrected Jesus standing there. Uh, he was offering them peace because their life had just been turned upside down. Their schedules were changed. Their finances were changed and challenged. Their families were now threatened with, from fear. Their futures were not secure. Does that sound familiar? They had two major questions that maybe you can relate with as well. What now and what next? And while they were fearful and resentful and unbelieving, Jesus offered them peace. Now Mary Magdalene tried to do that and they didn't listen. The other two disciples came and they tried to do that and the disciples wouldn't listen. They couldn't find any peace in the news of the reports. But once Jesus showed himself to them, he offered them peace again, peace from his trouble. <laughs> I want you to remember this. When they saw Jesus, when they saw his scars, when they saw his wounds, they were filled with gladness. They were relieved. Notice this. It wasn't that their circumstances had changed. It was their faith had taken over instead of their fear. 
When Jesus shows up and offers peace, it's time for faith to take over, not fear. When they saw Jesus in their isolation, it changed everything. Their faith could not come alive by the reports of the world. They won't bring peace. You focus on the social media answers, won't bring peace. Focus on financial security or the Dow Jones or the stock market, won't bring peace. And I'm not saying that we should discount those things entirely, but I will say they do not bring peace. So what does bring peace? Being able to see Jesus in your isolation. Seeing Jesus, spending time with Jesus, see, see him while you are locked in. He will pass right through every obstacle to meet with you and offer you peace. No matter who you are, what you are, or what you've done, Jesus offers peace. Jesus did offer them peace, but Mark and Luke tells us that he also offered them a rebuke um, for their unbelief. They had every opportunity to have already believed, but they should have known what was coming, the resurrection and the empowering, but they gave in to their circumstances instead of their faith. Jesus had spent three and a half years with them building their faith, and now was the payoff, and they failed. And they needed a rebuke, and they deserved a rebuke. And Jesus gave them peace. He met them right in the middle of their panic when they should have been focusing on strategizing for the gospel. Jesus said, go and I'm going to send you. I'm going to make you fishers of men to the whole world. And listen to this, this is so incredible. Instead of strategizing for the gospel's sake, they were thinking only about themselves and how they felt. Now this is a lesson that they learned pretty quickly after their rebuke and their fears began to be abated. And then they became evangelists too, like Mary Magdalene and Cleopas and the other disciple. Now, the first person that they told about the resurrection of Jesus was in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, the place my finger in the mark of the nails, and my uh, place his ha uh, my hand in his side, I will never believe. Now listen, this isn't disbelief like they were experiencing. This is outright unbelief, refusal to believe. It may give us some insight as to why Thomas wasn't with them a week ago when they met with Jesus. Thomas had already given up. Eight days later, this is verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And listen to this. Rather than rebuking Thomas, who's living in unbelief, he gave Thomas the same treatment that he gave the others. See, Thomas? I'm going to meet you right where your doubts are. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And of course, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Now, Thomas may have been already given up completely. He wasn't there on resurrection day. He was already absent. And, uh, and by the way, uh, there's a good sermon here about 
what you miss when you're not in church with your brothers and sisters. But anyway, apparently the disciples didn't completely understand Christ's statements yet. They were still behind locked doors even a week after they had seen Jesus. But this time they had reached out at least to Thomas and they had told Thomas that Jesus was alive. And Thomas did the exact same thing that they did one week earlier and that was refused to believe the reports. He joined them in the locked room though in self-isolation due to fear. And Jesus came to him the same way and spoke peace and met him right where he was. And they were all radically changed. But listen to verse 29. And Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? The answer is yes. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is where we come into the room. That's us. Those who have not seen the resurrected Jesus and believe the testimony of those who did. We believe the testimony that was given about Jesus, not only about his resurrection, but also about his peace and about his mission through us, our empowering through his spirit. Now is a wonderful time for us as the church to act on this. We may be isolated in our upper rooms, but Jesus can slip right through the walls of our homes and offer us himself offer us peace. We need to believe the witness. We need to believe that his peace is real. We need to trust him and believe in him and carry his peace instead of our fears. Now is the time to prepare instead of beware. Strategizing for the gospel for when we are released that we are able to evangelize those that have slowed down and calmed down and are now asking different questions. He is near and He offers peace, even with your doubts. Hey, listen, I remember when, and you do too, Jesus walks in to, through the walls into the upper room and He is looking at two days ago, 11 men who had ran through the garden as far as fast as they could to get away from the trouble. Betraying like you wouldn't believe while Jesus is being arrested, they're hightailing it. After pledging an hour before, uh, I'll die for you. And the very first thing that Jesus says when he walks into the room, he looks right at every one of them and he says, I want to give you peace because I know that's not what you really are. I want to remind you who you are in me. Peace. Look, look what I've done for you. Look what you have now. I have brought you near the Father. I have prepared the way. And he says the same thing to us today. Not too long after this encounter, the Apostle Paul was in isolation, no prison. But he was, uh, listen to what he had learned. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, he said, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. So while we may be, some of us, homebound in isolation, the Word of God is not bound. There's never been a day for the Word of God to go so broadly as this day. And I hope that you're spending time in the presence of Jesus. Jesus' presence does not live at the church building. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? His presence is wherever you are, and you can experience His peace instead of your enemy's fear and distraction and discouragement and division. Before I go, I want to talk about one more encounter in that room. 
just not many days after that. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, goes on to list all of the 11 apostles. And it is in that moment that Peter actually gets up and preaches a sermon showing where Judas had fulfilled Old Testament prophecies in his betrayal. And then he reminded that someone should take the place of Judas. And so they prayed and asked God to bless them with wisdom in their, in their picking. And uh, the, the decision was made to elect Matthias as the replacement for Judas. It's one of the last things we know about Matthias. But nevertheless, this thing takes place in the upper room. And, and from that moment to Pentecost, when they were all together and the Holy Spirit fell upon them here in this upper room and they were empowered by the power of God and they were no longer fearful. In fact, every opportunity for fear was met with boldness and confidence and strength because they had met with the resurrected Jesus. And the one thing that he offered them was peace. And his peace gave them boldness. It gave them promise. It gave them confidence. It gave them satisfaction in who he was instead of who they were. And so this was a place of sending. In, back in John chapter 20, Jesus says, As I have been sent, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Believe it or not, in the Greek, those are two different words. As the Father has sent me, this word means... Uh, designated authority. What, what it really means, this word sent, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said. He says that, G, that God has sent me, having given me all of his authority. And it's based upon all that authority that I'm sending you. And that sending is not the same word. It is the word pimpo, which actually means to go as a messenger under the authority of another. And so we don't walk in our own authority. If we did, that should cause us lots of fear. But the covering of Jesus, the empowerment of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that is our authority. We walk under the authority of Jesus Christ, just as the Father sent Jesus. Jesus likewise is sending us out as messengers. And so while you are in your upper room, while you are wrestling with what next, what now, what am I supposed to do? Everything has changed. Let's look for opportunities to strategize how we're going to pray for and communicate with and evangelize our neighbors and our coworkers and our family because the world is asking different questions right now. So I pray that God would alleviate your fear and move you to a place of peace. Remember his suffering and what it costs for him to empower you and you will walk in his peace. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time together today. We thank you for the encouragement that we find from your word and we do love you. We ask now that you would not only solve all of our problems, but Lord, allow us to, uh, uh, I don't know, we don't even know what our problems are. Reveal yourself to us and help us to focus on you. Help us to draw from your strength and help us to recognize the purpose by which you leave us here and sent us here. And, uh, and Lord, may we, when we are released to go back to normal, may we never be normal again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.